0: We are in the middle of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Our uh, sermon series through this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote to an ancient church in, um, in ancient Macedonia, is entitled, we've entitled this sermon series, Powerful Grace for Weak People. And again, I know I probably say this almost every week, I can't believe the impact, the timeliness, the precision of this ancient text for where we are at, not only as a church family, but also as a country. And even for me personally, this book has been um, just rich, absolutely rich. We're in chapter 8, so I'd invite you to follow along in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have a Bible in front of you, or you can follow along the screen behind me, but by way of introduction, if you remember where we have uh, come from, where we're going in this letter, so we follow Paul's uh, thought uh, to this uh, struggling church, that he's continuing now the second half of his letter. So ch- last week in chapter seven, um, this this letter that he's written to the Corinthian church, we looked at three action that three actions that God does for His people. In the midst of trials and in the midst of hardship, and now his letter is taking a that he will focus, so to speak. It is it is, turns now to the topic at hand that he will spend the next few chapters talking through, and it's about this massive monetary financial gift that all of the area churches and area, I mean by Macedonia, Asia Minor, are sending to the church and the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul has been in charge of a lot of this. His, his co-workers, his colleagues have been um, raising money for this, this struggling church that it faces immense persecution at the, in, during their time. And so he's turning his focus of his letter now to this topic of generosity. And today we're going to look at three aspects of generosity as it relates to the Corinthian believers and by proxy for us here in 2020 in the United States of America. The generosity for the Apostle Paul is all about God's glory and the good of others. Our suffering, our hardship is about God's glory and the good of others. And so we're going to follow his thought here in chapter 8. So if you Follow along with me. We're going to read in verse 1, and we're going to only go through uh, verse 15 this morning um, in our text. So the Apostle Paul writes this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor or grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that As he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this manner, I give my judgment or opinion. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may may be fairness or equality. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, And whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we approach this text today, these ancient words with profound contemporary truth. As if these letters are written to us today, while they are not, they resonate deeply with us. And so I pray that the message that you have for us today the truth to combat the lies would be extremely clear in our hearts in our minds today and that it would move us to transformation spirit we are asking for that that it would not merely just be something that we regurgitate digest and toss And that Monday through Saturday, it has no bearing. These truths have no bearing on our lives. I pray, Jesus, by your mercy and by your grace, that that would not be the case. So help us. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our grief. Help us in our struggle. And help us in our abundance. To honor you, to trust you, and to be changed by you. For your glory and the good of others, we ask these things. Amen. By way of note, it's great to see you here this morning, Laurel. Dear sister has been battling shingles for the last eight weeks. And it's been an incredible amount of pain. And so to see her there this morning is uh, truly a gift. Welcome. We love you and we continue to pray for you. It's great to see you here. I didn't see you slip in, so... Let's move on Uh, three aspects of generosity as it relates to the Corinthians and to Lakeside Church this morning here in 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 8. First idea is this, gracious generosity is eager to give. The Apostle Paul writes in a way that exemplifies the truth, the reality of this kind of generosity. And he uses and he highlights the churches in Macedonia at the beginning of chapter 8. So, by way of map to help you get an idea, Corinth right here is a port city. It sits right on uh, in between the Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea. Churches in Macedonia where Paul is at at the time of this writing is Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. He is up in there. If you read the account of Acts, you know that uh, that was anything but a vacation for the Apostle Paul. Immense persecution, incredible beatings, imprisonments, riots, wherever he and his followers went. Okay? And so this is not a walk in the park. And he's writing back to this church in Corinth who is struggling through major issues. And their tumultuous relationship, as we've talked through in the past, is underway. And so the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to know about the Macedonian church's generosity about their richness, about their depth, about their radical nature of their giving and how they encouraged Paul and his teammates dearly. He says in verses 1 and 2, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part you see how he describes their generosity? And what is going on in the midst of their generosity? That this affliction is testing them, and he uses these adjectives to describe the severity, a severe test of affliction, number one. You see, there's this abundance of this this overflow of joy in the midst of it. And then thirdly, he says, he talks about their extreme... Poverty. Now, I know in America it's not maybe as prominent as it is everywhere else in the world. But when you leave a religion or you relieve a faith of your family or of your upbringing, and there is some level of this here in the, in the States, ostracism, things like that. But the level of persecution everywhere else in the world is immense. You basically lose everything if you choose to follow Jesus if you weren't raised in the Christian faith, right? In the ancient world, this was 100% the case. And so you lost everything when you chose to follow Jesus. And yet, the Macedonian churches here, look how he describes them. The main verb is overflowed. It literally means to be in abundance, to abound, and it accentuates this radical nature of the Corinthians' generosity. That despite the severe test of affliction, despite their extreme poverty, their, they, the, the Macedonians had abundant joy that overflowed, that abounded, and he describes it as this wealth of generosity. You see that in verse 2. And he links, because of God's grace, their poverty is intrinsically connected to their wealth. That you can be absolutely poor by human standards, and be eternally rich. That those two ideas are not incongruent. I've experienced this multiple times through my life. The people that have blessed me the most, some of the people, I should say, that have blessed me the most have given out of their poverty. Like, they give, they have given, people have given me things that I know cost them. Like, I know it cost them. I was a junior in Bible college, and this couple in our church, Jerry and Marge, would give, like, literally send checks of hundreds of dollars to help me with my school. And I know they didn't have that kind of money. I know they didn't have that kind of money. And the blessing and the encouragement from someone that gives to you out of their, out of their extreme poverty is, is overwhelming. And this has been the case for Paul. The Macedonians gave above and beyond not only what they had, but even what would have been anticipated or expected of them. It's radical. It's radical. Verse 3, he says that, for they gave according to their means, and I can also testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, it's voluntary. They weren't coerced. They weren't manipulated. It was this idea that they gave and it reminds me of a story that Jesus told back in uh, Mark 14 and Luke 21. If you remember the the story of the widow's might, like uh, follow along with this. This the story is so incredible. Jesus is talking, um, and and he 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 lays out this parable. He says, and Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Sorry, it's not a parable. It's actually a story. But he connects it to this idea of poverty, and he and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins, okay? Now, earlier in chapter 20, he talks about a denarius, and a denarius was equivalent to a day's wage. These two copper coins, historians think that they're approximately about one one one-hundredth of a denarius, so about six minutes worth of wages in the ancient world. And for a widow... This is all that she has. And look at what Jesus says. And he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Um, Jesus, you don't know how to do math very well. It's not the case. Uh, Carry the one. You'll find out that that she didn't give more. Okay? He said that she gave more for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And so this idea that gracious generosity is eager to give is is highlighted here. And Paul uses the Macedonians' generosity to encourage the Corinthian church. That the Macedonians not only gave above and beyond their means, but look at verses 4 and 5. They beg. There's this earnestness that... We want to be a part of it. Verse 4, he says, begging us earnestly for the favor, or literally the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. They pursued what they considered was a grace or a favor. That's literally the word for grace, to be able to participate in the relief of the saints. The Macedonians wanted in on it. They wanted in on this blessing, on this this, this, this gracious gift, even though they could have easily said, you know what, we can't do this because of everything we have going on in our lives. And they would have been absolutely legitimate in saying so. Completely exonerated in doing so. And yet, tying this idea of grace, favor, goes back to verse 1. See how Paul describes that in verse 1? That we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia. It's this idea that God gives abundantly, graciously, what we do not deserve. And so the Macedonians realizing this grace that is given to them are like, yeah, we're on that kind of gracious giving. We're all over it. It even catches the apostle Paul by surprise. Look at verse 5. He doesn't even anticipate that, this, not as we expected. Like, just blown away. And to his surprise, they give more than just money. He literally describes that they gave themselves. They give themselves first to the Lord. See that? And then to us, Paul and his teammates. And he uses this phrase, by the will of God. Paul's tying this idea to the first and second commandments. Do you remember that in Matthew 22? The greatest, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. The Macedonians are loving God. They're giving themselves to the Lord and then to others. This is the will of God. To love God supremely and to love and give yourself to another. And while this particular passage is in reference back in 2 Corinthians, this passage is in reference to a monetary gift that the Macedonians sent, Paul is definitely speaking to something much broader, much deeper than just money. You see, When Jesus has your heart, when Jesus has my heart, he has all of my possessions. Lakeside Church, when Jesus has our hearts and our devotion and our affections, he's got everything that we own. Because we recognize that it's all a gift from his hand. The reason that it's not my sister that has cancer is a gift from his hand. The reason that my house at this point in time today, 2020, even though the stock markets are going crazy, that my house isn't depreciating like it did back in 2008 is the grace of God. And so everything that I have is his. It's already his. You see, gracious generosity is always eager to give. That when you understand grace and God's grace towards you and I, I'm here. What do you need? How can I serve? How can I help? Are we eager to give our time? we're we so ingrained in our own little world and our own little schedule and our own little that we don't even have margin for people our gifts our talents we talked about the gift of encouragement last week some of you are gifted and wired in ways and that's given to you by God for a specific purpose you've incredible gifts and many of them use them here Some of you love children deeply and you are serving in the back, week in, week out, no accolades. You're holding crying babies so moms can be present here and enjoy a service and enjoy 30 minutes of not being asked for something. That's a gift. Some of you are just very friendly. You're warm and you serve on our connect team and you invite strangers brand new visitors here with us, guests. Others of you are very good with your hands and you come in and you check our leaky toilets and our faucets and you serve and you, you, you just love and care for lakeside by giving of your time, your expertise, and your talents. And the list goes on and on. Support, encouragement, hospitality, and sometimes your money talk about money because it's a good lit, it's often one of the best litmus tests for where your heart is, right? We spend on what we care about. And so gracious generosity is always eager to give. The second truth that he helps us understand in this in this text is this. The genuine generosity is the epitome of the gospel. That Paul is tying this idea of the grace of God in the lives of the Macedonian believers, and he's saying that this trueness, this genuineness of their generosity is always tied to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see in verses 6 and 7, Paul's ministry team encouraged Titus to continue his ministry with the Corinthian believers. If you remember back in chapter 7 last week, verse 5 talking about this idea of uh, sending Titus and and so forth. And so he says in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Paul wanted Titus to help them complete and excel. Do you see those words? Complete and excel this act of grace. There that word is again. It's an act of grace. Generosity is an act of grace. And he says... He wants them to complete, Titus to help them complete and excel. Excel, there is that same word again. It's abundance, it's overflowing. The same word used in verse 2. Excel in this act of grace. Paul ties this concept of grace to generosity and giving. That the truth is that as God graces you and I, we are sinners saved by grace, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it, and yet he gives it to us freely and abundantly as a gift, a gracious gift. As God graces us, so we have this freedom, this liberation to grace others. That's why the struggle in hypocrisy or the rub, the tension, is when you have people who call themselves Christians but are ungracious. Ungracious. You feel that? Because it's incongruent. And this idea here of God gracing us so we can grace others is where Paul is attempting to lean into, to press in a bit more. Notice he's extremely sensitive to their their already tenuous relationship. Look at verse 8. It's kind of funny. He's like, I'm not saying this as a command. I'm not saying this as an apostle, okay? Like he kind of lightens up and he sends Timothy, okay, instead of himself to them. He's not giving orders, but he's inviting them. And he's inviting them to what? He's inviting them to prove the genuineness of their love. You call yourselves Christians, I invite you to prove it. Here's the litmus test. Like he has throughout the entire letter, Paul begins with the gospel. Verse nine. The two verses, if you don't circle two verses or any other verses in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one, and this verse right here, Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, and I would add a third, chapter twelve, verse nine and ten. For you know the grace. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, me, by Jesus's poverty, we might become rich. An amazing text of scripture, an amazing truth that God gives to us what we do not deserve, and he doesn't withhold. He gives us Ephesians chapter 1, talks about we have this inheritance that is in the heavenlies. There's this idea of this inheritance that is unfading. It will not pass away, 1 Peter. That all that heaven has to offer is yours. (laughs) That kind of abundance. Jesus Christ, God's son, became poor for us. The incarnation... It's why we celebrate Christmas. He gives up heaven to become a human. He becomes poor. So that we might become rich, receive salvation, eternal blessings, and inheritance. Chapter 521 says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin and he gives us righteousness. He takes our poverty, and he gives us riches. The greatest exchange this world has ever and will ever know. And that's what makes the Christian faith so unique. It's so different. The gospel of Jesus is what drives and dictates the depth and desires of our generosity. The gospel is, is what makes us aware to the needs of others. It's God's love that enacts us to respond to those in need? First John chapter four verses twenty and twenty-one: that it's, it's we cannot say that we love God and hate our brothers. That's we're a liar. John says, to love God is to love our brothers and sisters. And Paul encourages them here in verses 10 through 12 to finish this desire that started a year ago. Corinthians, don't stall. Keep going. Finish it. In doing so and completing the task, he says that there is great benefit for them, that the proof of the gospel's presence in them is by their generosity. Not acting upon what one knows to be right is still wrong. Right? Not doing what we know to be right is still wrong. And just as James encourages us, we are not only to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And this is the rub. This is the rub being a pastor in an American church. It's because churches in America are filled with people that are good at hearing and for decades have heard, but are very poor with the doing part. Be hearers of the word and doers of the word, James 1.22. And we see that genuine generosity is the epitome of the gospel. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of good news if we are not generous. Like, that's where we go to. We don't attack, well, why aren't you generous? That's law. Grace is see what God has done for you, we're free to be generous. The difference between the two is eternal. Thirdly and lastly, gospel generosity, the apostle Paul says, has equality as its goal. Verses 13 through 15. Paul did not encourage the Corinthians to put themselves in jeopardy by their giving. Okay, Look at verse 13 with me. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness or equality. Your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance at some point in time later may supply your need, that there may be equality or fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's not encouraging them to put themselves in jeopardy by their giving. Because he's already told them twice in verses 11 and 12 to give out of what you already have. Give out of what you already have. But it's clear that the Corinthians are a people of means. And they have abundance. They're a port city. They're one of the most prestigious cities in the region of Achaia. And Paul states that it's a matter of fairness. Literally that word, it's used twice here, has the idea of being held properly in balance. Okay, it means equality. Now, equality is a buzzword today, and it is often misunderstood, all right? So we're going to try to address this idea of biblical equality. How does the Bible define equality? What is the Apostle Paul saying here when he says this? Everyone loves the concept of equality, right? Yeah, that's a good idea, rah, rah, rah. We love equality, right? until it actually costs us something. And then, you know, you get some people dropping off. But those who are truly for equality, fairness and justice, are those who are willing to make the necessary sacrifices to make equality a reality. So what do we mean by this? Biblical equality and biblical fairness, first, does not mean identical or the same. Okay, I want to clarify that. It does not mean identical or the same. Using the metaphor of the body, which is throughout all of New Testament Scriptures, that the church is the body, we are members of one body, okay? So taking that metaphor of the toe, for example, while radically different from the hand... The toe can never say that the body doesn't have need of you or vice versa. The hand can't say the body doesn't need you. When a body part has a need, the entire body works to provide for that member of the body, right? And when you have that little tiny hangnail, your body is suffering. Like it just drives you nuts until you take care of it. That The entire body works for that member. And so because your abundance is from God, it is grace from his hand, we are then released to help others in the body. You see, out of abundance, out of your abundance, out of my abundance, God's people then have their needs met. You know, even as a pastor, there are seasons when we are able to help others, and there are seasons when we need help. Yeah, I know, it comes as a huge shocker to many of you. We don't have it all together. We need the body just as much as you do. Even though we're called to lead and serve you, there's ebb and flow. We all have those. And equality is this idea that it's not sameness. It's not identical, but... It's rather when everyone in the church flourishes. That's biblical equality. That's biblical fairness. And so you can have rich people and poor people and there be biblical equality. Why? Because needs are met. Do you see that? He says, your, verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Notice, Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians to give and help the struggling, poverty-stricken churches in Macedonia. I don't know why. But he's not talking about equality in that sense of equal. He's talking about their needs being met, and apparently the Macedonians had their needs met so that they could give to others in need, even though they were extremely poor. Are you following with me? And so this is where it gets super interesting for theologians and pastors. We kind of geek out of verses 15. These kind of things tickle our fancy, all right? Verse 15, he quotes an Old Testament story out of the book of Acts. Or I'm sorry, Exodus. Wow. It's daylight savings time, right? (laughs) Friday is February. I'm right there with you, right? (laughs) right. Uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verse 18. And it's a story about the Israelites and manna and quail in the wilderness. And so for those that aren't familiar with the story, I'm going to read it just real quick because it's, it's a really cool story. I, I am going to take the time. I got the time. Chapter 16. Uh, let's look at back, back in uh, chapter, uh, verse 13. Children of Israel just been delivered from uh, Egypt, okay? God part of the Red Sea, killed the entire Egyptian army. Awesome story. Go, God. Go, Israel. And now they're out in the wilderness. What are we going to do? No food, no water, no clothes. Our pet's heads are falling off type thing, okay? Verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew laid on the camp. Dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake like thing, finest frost on the ground. Cool. What is this? When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord is commanding. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. A measurement according to the number of persons that has that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. And they gathered some more, some less. Equality. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's the quote. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it to the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them, morning by morning. Such a great word. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. He quotes this story. And it's a story because it doesn't matter how much or how little a person collected. Everybody had Miraculously enough, you see that it's not about the the rich and poor. Like it's about God providing so that the whole camp, all of the people, flourished. When they gathered too much and attempted to store it, like a good American hoarder, okay, and they attempted to do that. Mm-mm-mm. Something smelled terrible the next morning. That stank permeated the whole tent, okay. Also notice, they didn't have leaders or the, the rulers of the camp of Israel, Moses. They didn't have them setting rules and laws about how much to collect either. Do you see that? That's absent as well. No, the essence of the story is that every day, God provided, well, they did nothing to earn it or deserve it. Absolutely nothing. A fine frost after the dew, and it dissipated when the sun came up. It's an amazing story that God provides while they did nothing to earn it and deserve it, and that's called grace. No one went hungry, and even if you didn't gather very much, the Lord always provided and took care of you. And that doesn't change today. Yo, that does not change today. The reason you have a healthy body and you can get up and earn a a buck is grace the reason that I could get up on time this morning with daylight savings and little sleep and my truck being broke down in my driveway is grace. It's grace. The life of faith and waiting for manna was daily and constant, and the whole community of God's people was cared for. All of God's people flourished. And so for Christians... God's people, if you call yourself a Christian here today, sharing in generosity is based on biblical equality and the ideals of familial belonging. Let me say that again. Sharing in generosity is based on equality and the ideals of familial belonging that you and I belong to each other. And it's not based on social or judicial obligations. Oh man, I gotta go to Lakeside. got serve those people there today. Are you kidding me? I've got sleep. I've got things to do. I've got a checklist. Forget it. I'm not gonna do it. Right? Serving and loving people, one another. Is not about social or judicial obligations. It's based on this ideal of equality and familial belonging that is grounded on grace. God's grace to you and I. Again, equality doesn't mean identical, but it does mean that needs are met. It's not about law and guilt. You will never hear us, and if you do, you can knock us over the head, but you will never hear us at Lakeside Church tell you, you should, you ought, you must. It's going to be about grace that invites you in, because that is going to last far longer than any command. It's based on grace. Law or guilt will only take people so far. Grace-driven, gospel-infused, voluntary, proportioned to one's one's means is the type of giving that the Apostle Paul lays out. Biblical generosity is where God's grace is received and the faith community flourishes and thereby the city, Worthington, benefits and is blessed. Generosity and giving should be joyful and joy-filled. It should be a joyful and joy-filled experience derived from the gifts of grace from heaven above, given to us by the Holy Spirit, where the needs of the body of Christ are met and the world is subsequently bettered. Gospel generosity has equality as its goal. There's a lot there. I've got three questions in closing. Help us wrap all this up encourage you to write these down think through them throughout the week ask yourselves these questions the first one is this who are you and who are you not you're like oh okay like how that took a hard left turn how do i tie this to generosity who are you and who are you not if your very first answer to that question is I'm a student, I'm a CEO, I'm a farmer, I'm a nurse, I'm a, a, a senior pastor, I'm a husband, a wife, a mother, father. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm asking. Who are you and who are you not? If you answer "And I'm a child of God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a huge debtor whose debt has been paid. Then you're getting closer. How you answer these two questions is so crucial. And I encourage you this week to seriously take some time that the time spent in an attempt to answer and refine your answers over time will be extremely beneficial because if you don't know who you are and who you are not, life will be extremely confusing. Who is it that God made you to And who is it that I am not made to be? You see, this is why the gospel of grace is so important. Because we we all attempt to answer these two questions with temporary things rather than eternal. Husband, senior pastor, father, those are all temporary things. That is not who I am. I am a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted both spiritually and physically. God's given me the gifts of uh, of apostolic gifts of vision, of dreaming, of pushing forward. He's given me gifts of of, um, shepherding, of caring for others, as well as being an evangelist. I love people. And God's called me to use these gifts... For you, for Worthington. Who I am not, I'm not a very good administrator. I'm a leader, but I'm not a very good delegator. Who are you and who are you not? Second question I know that those were two, but I use them as one. Do you know you're free? Do you realize that you are free, you're liberated because of Jesus? That when we understand God's grace to us, generosity and giving become an I get to rather than an I have to, right? And this is what we try to teach our kids in the Koba household, that chores around the Koba household is an I get to because you're our kids, you're part of the family. It's not so much an I have to. It's the difference between freedom and slavery, obligation versus invitation. It's the difference between people coming into Lakeside Church and saying, what does this church have to offer me? We got this, they get kids. But like, it's the difference between people coming in and consuming, what does Lakeside have to offer to me, versus people that come in and say, how can I serve? How can I help? I'm good at these three things. How can I be used? Man, when we get people like that, and they come in and say, how can I serve, and they just jump right into nursery, they just jump right into the unglamorous things, I'm here. Dude, that's so refreshing. It's amazing that people are like, I'm good at this thing. Maybe it's just one thing, but I want to use it for the good of the body. Do you realize that you're free to use these things for God? We have a church member here that he's told me that God has given me the gift to make money. (laughs) He didn't give me that gift, okay? I'll just put that out there. But he said, just in all honesty, humility, God has given me the gift to make money, and I want to use it for his glory. And they do. We have so many people here that are so unbelievably generous. And you can tell that their relationship with Jesus just resonates because they're like, yeah, this is not mine. And they just give, open up their lives, their homes, their stuff. And it's just like, here you go. It's not mine. It's just a gift. It's all gonna burn up. Have at it. We have so we are blessed by generous people here. And we wanna continue to do to see people grow in the gospel so that it permeates our lives transforms the way that we live when you understand the gospel it frees you to lose yourself for God's glory and the good of others do you know you're free do you know you're free lastly third question are you generous now again we're not going to come at it as like you need to start here's a checklist you better, have, you better start doing it a list of to's. that's law That's not grace. We're not going to make you feel guilty. We're not going to have you fill out checklists or give you a bunch of rules or guidelines to follow. Instead, we're going to ask if you understand God's grace. We're going to invite you back to the gospel of Jesus because that's what will transform you. Do you understand the good news Because it calls you away from the idols. It calls you away from the addiction. It calls you away from the depression and anxiety, the worry, the constant, the pressures that you face in life. We're gonna call you back to Jesus every week. Every week. Because he is the one who is worthy. We're gonna invite you to find rest, healing, joy, and life, even in the midst of suffering and hardship. So what has God given you today? To use this week for his glory and the good of others. Are we generous? And do we understand the gospel? Let's pray.